The children are dismissed at this time for Children's Church. And as they go, I'll invite you to find Proverbs chapter 10 in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 10. I'll give you a minute to get there. And once you're there, we'll pray before we begin. But as you're finding Proverbs chapter 10, I don't know if I've mentioned to you, Proverbs was my favorite book of the Bible when I was a kid. I love the book of Proverbs. I still really love the book of Proverbs. And the reason I like it so much, and the reason I liked it then, is because it's really very easy to understand. Proverbs, you can read just a little bit and come away pretty quickly with something that's very understandable and it's easy to understand how to apply it to our lives. So I think I can promise each and every one of you that you will understand the passage we're going to read this morning and you'll understand how to apply it to your life. The question will be, will we apply it to our lives? So let's pray before we we dig in. Father, thank you for giving us your inspired, holy, powerful word. We acknowledge before you that spiritual life comes from you through Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit and the ability to receive your word and submit to it comes from you as well. And so we come with our hands open. We come looking to you, dependent upon you. Please help us to receive, understand, and submit to what you say to us in Proverbs this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So our text, two verses, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Let's just begin by reading it. Seems like a pretty good way to start. Studying God's word, right? Okay, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So there you have it. Pretty easy to understand what it's saying. Let's just enjoy it for a minute for for what it is. Uh, I asked Isaac to put it all together so you can see both verses together. And so each line would be distinct. So let's just look at it as the, the poem, the wisdom poem that it is for a minute and just enjoy the structure of it. I think you already understand it without me giving a lot of explanation, but let's just kind of take it in together. So first, look at the first two lines, how they put forward a contrast of two different things. The contrast is between a slack hand and the hand of the diligent. One causes poverty, the other makes rich. Easy enough. Now let's look at the next two lines there. The one that begins, he who gathers, and then the one that begins, but he who sleeps. Another contrast is put forward to show the effects of what verse 4 has to say. So the contrast here is between someone who gathers in summer versus, in contrast with, someone who sleeps during harvest. One demonstrates prudence or wisdom. The other one brings shame. Now, let's look at it another way. Just taking it in. One of the neat things about 
Hebrew poetry, especially as it's laid out in a lot of Proverbs, the author will frame it where the first and last line sort of complete a thought, and then the two inner lines complete a thought. So let's just look at it like that for a moment. Look at the first line and the last line and how it gives you the complete idea of what slackness is and does. So a slack hand causes poverty. He who sleeps and harvests is a son who brings shame. So the slack, sleepy son brings shame by sleeping during harvest. Now look at the middle two lines to get that full idea. The hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. So the diligent hand that makes rich is the prudent hand of the son who gathers even early during the summer. Big idea is clear however you look at it. We don't want to be slack-handed. We want to be diligent-handed. And that's wise. But what is diligence? If you looked it up in a dictionary, which probably nobody would do, but if you googled diligence definition, what would come up first is diligence means careful and persistent work and effort. And that idea is here in the text. But Proverbs, if you trace that word through, adds another dimension to it. And that is the dimension of timeliness. So diligence in Proverbs, God's wise diligence that he is encouraging us toward this morning, is careful and persistent work and effort done at the right time. In other words, our obedience to this verse and us submitting to what this says is not to go out and be workaholics and just work all the time at our jobs. That's not what this verse is suggesting. We don't want to be a congregation of Elon Musk's. Do you guys know who Elon Musk is? Anybody ever heard of Elon Musk? Okay, a couple people. He's this entrepreneur guy. Um, He's behind Tesla and some other ventures. And in an interview a couple years ago, he said that he barely sleeps at all and that he works on average 120 hours a week. That averages out to be roughly 17 hours a day. Sometimes he wouldn't leave the Tesla offices for days, even a week. He would just doze off a little bit and then get straight back to work. Now, is that what this is encouraging us to be like? No, obviously not. Sleep is good. Sleep isn't evil. Sleep is good. We are designed to need to sleep. You need to sleep. You probably need more sleep than you're getting. It's not anti-sleep. It's sleeping at the wrong time. Do you see that there at the end? It's he who sleeps in harvest when they should be out harvesting that brings shame. Now, God has already given us a perfect illustration of this a little bit earlier in Proverbs. I'm sure you remember my sermon from January 2016 on this passage perfectly, so I don't really need to go into it. But look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Perfect illustration from nature of what God means about diligence. He says, go to the ant, the little insect, the little ant. Go to the ant, old sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So the ant's a perfect illustration of what he's talking about. Now, when I was a kid, we just did not have as much entertainment available to us as kids do today. 
And that really wasn't that long ago. I know some of you are looking at me and thinking, well, let me tell you what it was like when I was a kid. We had one handful of dirt, and that was it, and we were glad. We were thankful for it. And when I was a kid, we didn't have air conditioning in our house. We had fans, which I know some people still do. But during summertime, it would get pretty uncomfortable in the house. We had like three Nintendo games, and you had to like blow on the cartridges. <sighs> you got, anybody remember that? And they still wouldn't work. They still wouldn't work. They still wouldn't work. Only thing on TV was The Price is Right, and you can only watch so much of The Price is Right. And so often, the best thing I would have to do would be to just hang around outside and watch ants. Now, I'm not saying I did this every day, but I do have memories of observing ant behavior as a child. Kids today have got too much awesome stuff to do to ever sit and just watch ants. But did anybody ever, has anybody just observed ants, been bored enough? Okay. Ants are just hardworking little critters. So if you dropped a sucker on the ground, in my yard at least, it was not long before some little scout ants figured it out, somehow communicated it back to the mound, and then there was an organized line from that sucker back to the mound. I guess they're just getting little tiny bits of it and bringing it back to the mound. That's how ants work. There's a sucker. It's time for harvest. Let's get going. Let's get to work. Ants don't sit around in the mound, and then once their thoraxes start rumbling with hunger, say, yeah, let's go see if we can grab some fast food somewhere. No, if there's a sucker on the ground, the opportunity is here. It's time to get to work. They don't need a chief or a ruler or an overseer to tell them. They take the initiative. They just get to it. And that's the kind of diligence God's promoting here, this wise, godly diligence. The main way that I observed ants is probably the same main way that you have, and that's if you see a red ant hill in your yard, you poke it with a stick. That's the natural and first thing you do as a kid. How long does it take those ants to just consume that stick? They don't see it come through their living room and think, ah, shoot, the Broadway kid's back at it with a stick again. We'll get to it next week. Immediately, there's work to be done right now, and so they do it. So go to the ant, old sluggard. Look at the ant. Learn a lesson from the ant. It's an example of diligence. Doing the right work right when the right work needs to be done. That's the kind of diligence God is promoting. Doing the right work right when the right work needs to be done. Try to say that five times fast. To put our Proverbs back in chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 in more modern terms, because we're not all farmers here, obviously, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who shows up to work a little bit early so they can hit the ground running when they clock in. He who gets the projects done a week ahead of time when possible to leave some margin in case something unexpected comes up. He who gets the job done when it's time to get the job done is a prudent employee. But he who sleeps in and oversleeps, keeps hitting snooze, shows up late to work. But he who makes excuses and procrastinates and plays on his phone when there's work to be done is a son, or is an employee, rather, who brings shame. And we can see how that works itself out. This is just generally true. Put it in other terms uh, for you younger people in school, kids in the room. He who wakes up on time and gets to school on time and has his homework done on time, starts studying as soon as he knows the test is going to happen so that the information intake can be more like a crock pot instead of a microwave 30 seconds before the test, is a prudent student. 
But he who stays up all night playing video games, super sleep deprived, sleeps through the first two classes of the day, gets in late, hasn't done the homework because is doing other things, fails the test, fails the grade, gets held back, is a student who brings shame. This is, no, this is no big shocker. This is not some surprising revelation to us. But it's helpful to remember this is in, in the Bible. It's foolish to be slack-handed in relation to work. It's wise to be diligent-handed in relation to work. We understand it. Slackness often in our world leads to poverty. Diligence often in our world leads to riches. Perfectly understandable. Does everybody, anybody have any questions? I think everybody probably understands. Now, the question is, how do we apply this to our lives? How do we submit our lives to this wisdom God is giving us here? Now, we don't do it literally. If we were going to literally obey this, we would all need to quit our jobs and become farmers so that we would have crops to gather, so that we would have a harvest to pay attention to. But obviously, that's not the intention. There's a principle beneath that we want to apply ourselves to, and that is, Don't sleep when there's work to be done. Don't procrastinate when there's work to be done. We have more opportunities and ways to procrastinate than these ancient people did. Perhaps that's why he says that the slack-handed son sleeps during harvest. Maybe in our day it would be the slack-handed son plays games on his iPhone during harvest. We have so much entertainment at our disposal that can numb us to the good work at hand that needs to be done. And it's foolish. And God has taught us practical wisdom that that helps us to do better than that. It's also, we don't apply this also just by working harder. The message isn't just work harder, work harder, hard work. It's do the right work at the right time. And that's different than just work harder. How do we know what is the right work at any given time that we should be applying ourselves to? Now, I know in your job is probably pretty straightforward when you're at work, but this is a proverb for more than just our nine to five or whatever the schedule may be, work life. This is a general principle for God's people. How do we know what's best next? That's the title of a a Christian productivity book that's out there on the carousel. It's a good book. What's best next? That's a good way to put it. What is the right work that needs to be done right now? You know, if we were farmers, it'd be pretty obvious. Like, right now is the time to be planting. Okay, right now is the time to be cultivating the soil. Okay, well, right now is the time to be harvesting. The crops are grown and mature. We need to harvest. Okay, right now is the time we need to sell the crops. But in our modern world, it's not ever quite that clear all the time. So how do you know what you should be applying yourself to if you want to be wisely and godly in diligence? Take an average evening, for example. You take this home, you heard God's word today, and you want to apply it. So just an evening this week, how do you apply this? Should you start getting a head start on tomorrow's work for your job? Should you be diligently working on chores around your house? Should you be out maintaining your car so you don't have to take it to the shop? Is that what you should diligently be working on? Should you take your car to the shop and pay someone to do it so you could be diligently working on reading some book that's going to nourish and and grow you intellectually? 
Should you be a part of some club or something, exploring some interest of yours and diligently cultivating that interest God has given you? Should you be working out, trying to stay physically healthy so that you can do all this physical stuff that God may call you to do? Or should you not be doing any of that? Should you be having uh, recipe books and and Google open and be planning a menu for your family so you can go grocery shopping and, and get the right food? Should you be on the computer ordering clothes for your kids who have grown out of everything they own somehow again already? Should you not be doing any of that kind of stuff, but should you instead be diligently focusing yourself on meaningful conversation with your family members, with your spouse, with your children, on the phone with someone you care about? Should you be playing with your young children because they're only going to be little kids for so long and this is your chance to bond with them? Should you be carting your children to every sport that they're interested in to try to cultivate their interests and give them all the opportunities you wish you had? Should you be pursuing your hobby that you're interested in? Should you be meeting your new neighbor with a a basket of baked goods to welcome them to the neighborhood? Should you be a part of some small group on that evening studying the Bible? Should you be opening up your home, inviting people over for evangelistic hospitality? Should you not be doing anything with anybody? Should you be in your room with the door closed praying, cultivating your relationship with God or with your Bible open, studying your Bible? The opportunities for us are almost endless. We could, we could put our diligence and aim it in almost any direction and hit a pretty decent endeavor. There's so much that we could do with our time, and it's, it's honestly overwhelming, isn't it? It can be completely overwhelming to even know what we should be doing because we're so mobile and we have so much opportunity at our disposal. So how do we know? It's not busyness. Diligence and busyness are not the same thing. Do not mistake busyness for diligence. You can be busy trying to do it all and accomplish nothing and not be wise and diligent according to God's word. And we don't want to do that. In fact, I almost think for us, a lot of people I know, if we're going to turn toward godly diligence, we're probably not turning away from slack-handed laziness. We're probably turning away from aimless busyness in order to do the right work that needs to be done right now. So how can we know? Well, I have a really practical suggestion for us. Okay, now this this is just a practical suggestion based on God's word, but it's not coming directly from God's word. So this is something for you to pray about and think about. But Proverbs is so practical, I feel like we should land in a practical place. Perhaps our response to this needs to be prayerful planning. Prayerful planning. You know, the way you budget your money if you have a budget. Perhaps we need to budget our time a little more carefully so that we can be diligent about what God has called us to do. The beginning of a new year is a great time to look ahead and say, I've got a whole year here. What does God want me to use this year for? What is the right work right now for me to be applying myself to? Beginning of a new month is a great time to look ahead and say, I've got these four weeks. What is the good work that God wants me to be focusing on this month? A new week, a Sunday afternoon is a great time to do this. Got a whole week ahead of me. What is the good work that God wants me to diligently, persistently with effort and work pursue for his glory this week? A new day, wake up in the morning is a great time to think about this day. What am I to pursue? What's the right work right now? Prayerfulness. 
in light of our biblical priorities, will lead to godly diligence. Aimlessness will lead to either slack-handedness or aimless busyness. So if you think about your Bible, if you think about who you are as a Christian, what's the top priority? Well, in general terms, it's God. Remember Jesus said, number one commandment that sums up everything is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is no wise diligence that doesn't put God first. You're already off the mark if you're putting anything above your relationship with God and your growth as a Christian. I want to read to you 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I want to read this because I want to make sure no one is under the misconception that Christianity doesn't involve any work. Because it absolutely does. You're not saved by your works, but you are saved into work, a new work, good works, which God has put prepared beforehand for you. And if you're going to grow as a Christian, it takes diligence. Let's read this together. First part, Peter's just reminding these Christians what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. He writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So God has done all this for you. Through Jesus Christ. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness in him. You're not enslaved to your sin anymore. You're freed from all that. Now you're God's people. Then verse 5. For this very reason, based on what God has done for you, make every effort. That Greek could be translated pretty accurately. Be diligent. To supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. So why aren't more Christians more virtuous? Because they're not making every effort to grow in virtue. A lot of Christians are like New Year's resolution people in the gym. If you go to a gym regularly, you see the New Year's resolution people show up. It's right after Christmas. They've got a new exercise shirt on. They've got new exercise pants on. They've got new exercise shoes on. They've got a new exercise app on their phone. They've got new exercise nutrition shake in their hand, and they're sitting on the exercise bike playing a game on their phone. Why are they not getting fit? Because they're not making every effort to get fit. They're fully equipped They've got the gym membership, but they're not making every effort. Why are more Christians not more knowledgeable about the Bible? Because they're applying a slack hand to their faith. Why are more Christians, why don't they have more self-control? Because they're not applying a diligent hand to their Christian growth. So any pursuit of godly diligence for us as Christians has to start here. Very practically, are you purposefully making time to spend with the Lord in prayer and in reading his word? 
and letting him shape you? What would be the second priority if you were trying to lay out your time based on trying to do the right thing at the right time? I think biblically it would be thinking about your relationships. You know, God, he said, Jesus said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment is similar, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commandments hangs all the law, everything that God said you were designed to do. So let's think about our relationships for a minute. If you're married, your first relationship to think about would be your spouse. You know, Meredith has a lot of relationships in her life, but she only has one husband. You guys can encourage and love Meredith in a lot of ways, but you can't love and encourage her as her husband. I'm the only one on the earth that can do that for her. And so I have to make my relationship with her very primary. I'm the only one who can love her as Jesus loved the church and sacrifice myself for her as a husband. So I don't need to think that I'm being diligent because I'm working really hard as a pastor if I'm ignoring my relationship with my wife. I'm not doing the right work at the right time if I'm neglecting my marriage. And so it is with anyone who's married. Let's think about another layer, our kids, if we have kids. Our kids are going to have all kinds of relationships, but they're only going to have one set of biological parents. One set of parents. If anybody's going to train them in the way they should go, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it's going to be the parents. Don't delude yourself and think that my hour with them on Wednesday nights as teenagers, even with Kara and Isaac, good examples by my side, Matt's hour, 45 minutes or so, Matt Hagler's hour with them in Sunday school, don't think that that's going to necessarily override the tidal wave of influence that you have as a parent. What's the right work at the right time? Well, if you have young children at home, parenting has got to be a focus for you. You only have 18 years before theoretically they're up and grown and gone and independent and you're now just sort of an advisor that they can consult if they choose to. Don't get distracted and do the wrong work. Don't think that because you're hauling them to every sports dream that they have, you're being a good parent. Because if you're doing that to the neglect of their salvation and their souls, you're not. I've told you before the statistics, most Christians in our nation who are going to become Christians are going to become Christians during those fertile years of childhood into the early adolescence. Don't fall prey to this wicked scheme of this world Don't let screens, don't let sports, don't let anything get a grip on your kids and your family because they don't let go. You have to cut it off if you want to breathe again. Family dinner's gone because we're on the ball field. Meaningful conversation, gone because we just got to get where we're going fast because we got to get you to your game. Next thing you know, their childhood gone and they're adults. You had your chance. I know I harp on this a lot, but I honestly hate it. I hate it. It is a vicious and cruel and subtle evil. What's the right work at the right time? Is it really all these other endeavors, or is it not to see these people God has put in our lives and look them in the eyes and do everything we can? Everything we can based on the relationship God has given us with them to make sure they know who Jesus Christ is and are rooted in him. 
Think about our relationships. Think about our parents. You young kids in the room, your work right now is in large part to obey your parents. It's what God says. Obey your parents. This pleases the Lord. Your parents may be older. You're the only children your parents are going to have. And so you have a unique role when they get to the age where they can't care for themselves as well as they once used to. What's the right work at the right time? Well, I think it's totally appropriate to set aside some other things so that you can be available to care for your aging parents. And I have to say and affirm our church, I think our church has frequently responded really well when our parents have gotten to that aging level. I have seen many of you tirelessly and selflessly serve and honor and care for your parents. And I I love that about our church. That's good and right. Thinking about our relationships, just our neighbors, just the people in our lives in general, are we given due consideration to our role in the lives of the people God has put in our sphere of influence? I'm going to read another passage to you. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, wives, husbands, parents, children, bond servants, which would be the closest thing in this text to just employees, whatever it is, whatever work you're doing, work heartily. As for the Lord, put your heart and soul in it as if you're working directly for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in all your relationships, be diligent. Be prayerful about what's the right work when. Our church family falls into the same category. The work of ministry falls to the saints in general, all Christians. And here, in light of all this, our careers find their right place in a network of relationships with God and other people. Now, obviously, your work is going to be the big unmovable block in terms of your schedule. You're going to be spending a lot of time at work, and you want to apply these principles of diligence there. Take the initiative to do the right work right when the right work needs to be done. But if you see it in light of all this other stuff, it becomes part of your larger diligence. You work hard at your job to honor God. Work becomes worship. You work hard at your job to serve your employer really well, to bless him by being a good employee, to bless her by being a good employee. You work really hard in order to be a better support to your coworkers because you love them. You work hard at your job to better bless those who are going to be on the receiving end of whatever service or Uh, whatever it is that you do for a living, because you love them in Christ. It all fits together in your larger pursuit of wise, godly diligence as a Christian. I may have told you this before. One of my many jobs I had prior to being a pastor, I sold mattresses at the mattress firm. Pretty proud of it. Pretty prestigious. Um, I was a student in seminary at the time, and I needed a different job from the one I had because my schedule just had changed so much school-wise. And a friend of mine at school said, well, if you need a job, go talk to Jody at the mattress firm. And once he finds out that you're a student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, 
He will hire you immediately. Because every seminary student he hires does excellent work for him. And so he, he mainly wants seminary students to work for him. That is great. I'm so thankful that was his impression of, of Christians and seminary students. And that should be the perception of Christians. Christians should be the very best employees. Never complaining, always working diligently, taking the initiative to do the right work, right when the right work needs to be done, because they work for the Lord. And they love their employer, and they love their boss, and they love their coworkers, and they love those who they're serving. Christians should be the best employees because they remember Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. They know that a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So we understand this proverb. Let's apply this proverb. Let's not be known for slackness. And let's not be known just for busyness. Everybody's busy. Let's be known for distinctively Christian diligence. A prayerful discernment in light of God's word. What is the right work right now for this season of my life? For this year of my life? This month of my life? This week of my life? This day of my life? Let's be known for doing the right work right when the right work needs to be done. Let's pray. Father, we need your help to live in light of your wisdom here. There are so many forces that work against it. Please search out our hearts and reveal to us any way in which we have been slack-handed, shameful, sleeping when we ought to be working, procrastinating when we ought to be working. Help us to, through Jesus Christ, be forgiven for those things and pursue diligence instead. Help us have diligent hands. Help us be prudent in how we schedule out our lives and our energies and our time. Give us wisdom to know what is the right work to focus on next. Help us to walk in your spirit so we can discern these things and not just aimlessly bounce from thing to thing or go with the flow of the world and what the world emphasizes. Let us be distinctly Christian in the way we go about our lives and our work. In Jesus' name, amen.